Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for this latest chat with friends. We are continuing on looking not just at games, but at um, how we construct the games and what and what goes into the games. And you know today... I have my favorite topic of all the topics. You think all the passion that I go through uh, when it comes to games, but this is actually my favorite topic in the world because we're talking about theme. And theme relates to stories, shelf stories. Hello, this is why we call the, sto- the channel what we do. I love theme. We're going to talk about theme today. I could not think of a better guest in order to introduce, talk about this theme. She has a blog uh, where many, many words are spent, maybe somewhere around 70,000 words on the subject of theme. A lot, a lot of interesting things to say. And a new designer maybe haven't uh, seen anything published from her, but these things take a long time. I don't care. you. If you have a design game, you've been signed by a publisher, you count. <laughs> Even if you don't have a game signer, but if you make a game, but having that, taking that next step is very, uh, says a lot about this person. Uh, I have gone on enough. Let me go ahead and introduce my guest. She is Sarah Ship. Welcome to the show. Yay. I'm very happy to be here. I am a big fan of your channel. So oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so, you know, we have interacted a little bit in, our, in the comment section. And, you know, I think that over the last little while, I mean, you know, talking about culture and talking about theme, I think the one thread was with Mark Garinto when we talked about the, uh, you know, oh, not Mark Garinto. That is not terrible, this name. Uh, Mark Spector talking about Garinto. I'm keeping that. <laughs> <laughs> I may mean, I'll I'll text him. I'll, I'll say I'll call the Mark uh, Mark Arento, See what he says. Uh, <laughs> talking about Carinto and talking about you know applicability of theme, but like let's lose zoom the lens out. We're not, we're not necessarily going to talk about culture today, but let's talk about like I feel like we need to lay some track. We talk about theme all the time. We talk about theme games, theme less games. We you know uh, we don't. I, I feel like we need to define terms and really get into the nitty gritty of what we're talking about. Because as we're gonna explore, I think we take some things for granted and we might not be as good at theme as we, or or have our ducks in a row when it comes to evaluating theme as, as we get there. But before we do that, I'd like to ask Sarah to introduce yourself. I gave a brief introduction, but maybe you could tell us a little bit more about uh, who you are uh, in the gaming space and how we would know you. Um, sure. Uh... I've been designing games for three years. I uh, started a blog because my background is in uh, professional theater. Um, Wonderful, it, I love like, that. Regional, uh, I'm a freelance technician. I do scenic art and carpentry mostly. Um, and coming into the design space, I was like, oh, it's it's design, it's, it's an art form. I, I understand this. And no one else speaks my language in board game design. Um, that's not true because there are a lot, there is actually a lot of crossover with theater among um, various people in board game design, but as, as a whole, um, the language isn't there. So I, I basically started the blog to like try and get my thoughts in a row so that I could communicate with people better. And then a, a couple people actually read it too on top of that, which is nice, but right. um, it's mostly me writing a thousand plus words per post and there's over 70 posts. So that's kind of where that number comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, 
trying to distill things down so I can have shorter conversations in real life. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, so I've been designing for three years and writing for like two and a half maybe. And um, I have a designed game, I have a couple of signed games um, that are probably gonna be out next year maybe, or in, Hopefully, and the dates will be announced soon, so that's that. That'll be uh, better. <laughs> but um, and and if more that I'm working on the pandemic, of course, like uh, some of my games were not really uh, capable of being ported into tabletop simulator. So I, okay. I kind of I had some difficulty with with making progress, especially on one of them that mm. a lot of people have expressed interest in, but it needs a lot of work. It's not there yet. And I've, <laughs> I've only just now been able to start working on it again. So, mm-hmm. but yes, but I also opening- have mm-hmm. uh, pertinent to this conversation. I've been on um, some panels on for, for the online prototyping conferences, talking about theme uh, and resonance. Um, and I just submitted my GDC pre-recorded panel for GDC 21 about uh, creating residents with thematic design. Mm. Residents being a really important thing. I have a feeling. So I come at this from a storyteller's perspective and a psychotherapist's perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm very much about what happens in here when mm. we see what I call the dots, right? So like, that's what games do. They present a lot of dots and then we all do this. <laughs> you know, like the theme doesn't reside in there. The theme resides in like in here and in this connection. So we're yeah. going to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to do a little bit of a one-on-one because I mean, just to kind of establish terms, right? we say that these words and people mean different things. They get different associations. So I want to just, oh, yeah. you know, like just hit the, hit the groundwork and then we'll start to build from there. So you have a, a working definition of theme and we can kind of, we, I think we could start mm. there. My definition for theme is that theme encompasses setting, story, and the tone of the game, um, and that it's expressed in illustration, components, mechanics, narrative description, and flavor text. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of refer to all those things as the game's elements. And they're not limited to those things, but like I feel those are the major ones. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, just breaking that down in terms of my own process, you've shared that with me before. Mm-hmm. I think there's two elements to us. Like, um, you know, one taking a lot of first is that uh, what I would call aesthetic elements, right? You know, the, um, the art and the flavor text and like you know, the stuff that doesn't have to do with the mechanicals, uh, the stuff that is meant to provoke like imaginative reactions or whatever, you know, kind of sensory experience, right? So there's those elements. And then, but they, but in reference to what you all call the story tone, and setting of the game. So maybe um, talk a little about how you break those two things down and what you see is the relationship between those two two areas. But so between like the artistic elements and the- The setting, the story, the tone, like how does does one establish, what do you see as the connection between the two? Um, Well, I mean, first of all, I don't don't draw a sharp distinction between mechanics and art the way some people do, because I feel like the mechanics also when done well do the same sort of heavy lifting just in different ways um but i i normally come at this from like examples or from another angle so we can come at it from what is the relationship between the story of the game and the art of the game that's just one of those ineffable things because i'm an artist and i (laughs) i I don't right it's it's obvious i mean Color, shapes, lines, textures have emotional content and your theme, your story is emotional content and those things need to match up. 
Like, is that too um, weird uh, and artsy no, a way of putting it? I think that's amazing. I think like, cause we're talking about evoking emotions, right? I mean, we can't talk about female unless we're talking about emotions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, and I think even there, we're starting the conversation at a slightly different point than maybe theme usually starts at because, you know, so we're talking about theme. I think the first people think is, would be like, oh, the theme is Japan of a game like Rinto or the theme is this. And it's okay. like the starting point is that like the starting point would be emotions or yeah. emotional lines. But coming from that, even a noun is not a theme. Like, I know we're jumping ahead to hot takes with this. That's but fine. That's not, fine. A noun is not a theme. Themes have verbs in a board game design. Themes should be questions. Can we defeat the bad guys? Mm. There has to be a verb and a question mark, or I don't think it's a theme. I think your wow. theme, if your theme is butterflies, period, um, it's going to feel abstract and pasted on. If your theme is Japan, it's going to feel pasted on. Right. If so the way I always do it because it doesn't call out anybody's game is dogs is not a theme. Dogs chasing mail carriers is a theme, but it's not great. Can we protect our home against the evil invading mail carriers? That's a theme. Mm. Because okay. it makes you want to know what happens next. And that's, mm -hmm. then you'll play the game. And ideally your theme matches your gameplay, <laughs> which is a big I, I, thing. I actually, the, I've, so I've talked about theme before. Uh, and I usually refer to it as like, you know, so I get that thing with, with noun and verbs. And I use the, the game Viticulture. So like the, the, the setting of Viticulture is the, is the, you know, what do you call it? Vineyard. I, I just choked yeah. for a second. <laughs> so the setting of it, if people say the theme of, the, of, of uh, Viticulture is the, the vineyard. It's like, that's the setting. The setting of, the, of Viticulture is the, is the vineyard. The theme of the game is winemaking. Mm-hmm. Or like that, and, and and I like the way that you put it because there's a step, there's a next step where it's like, uh, who can make the 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 best one? Who can satisfy the most customers? Yeah, and that includes your win right. condition. Like you want to include your win condition of your game in your theme. So you know, it's winemaking, but it's who can make the best wine, make the most money making wine, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Satisfy um, the most wine loving customers. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's noun, verb, win condition, question mark is is how you should construct a theme and mm. like to me that's very basic level like I, I mentioned stuff to you that it's more nitty-gritty and how to construct your theme but if you're not starting there you're not going to have a thematic game right and we can well and this will be because uh just to let uh, the audience know we've, we're gonna do a one-on-one -on -one type thing and then we're gonna do hot takes uh, and they're going to bleed together. We've already kind of bled, st bled stuff together. Um, and, but just, I think one of the hot takes is going to be that that is, I mean, you say that's a very basic level, but that really isn't where a lot of folks start. Yeah. 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 Um, and honestly, I think that a lot of people who already, when I say something, they're like, oh, of course, that's obvious. They already know it. They already know it at an instinctual level, the way someone who is just, really good at music but never ha has never had a lesson already knows it but doesn't have the language for it right and that's great for that person but that's not a way to create a field of study of mm -hmm. uh practitioners right. um so that's kind of like i feel like people either listen to the things i have to say when they do and um they either say who cares why should we focus on this or they say of course that's obvious and I'm like I know <laughs> <laughs> okay uh so then 
you know, so that's the that sets the sets the stage. I think that sets a good stage. And I think like, you know, putting it in terms of verb and question bakes in that emotion because now I want something. Right. And that's, that's what all board games should be about. All big should be about, like, I, I think um, some, yeah. so it's another like way. Theater. Yeah. It's like theater where all acting uh, from a character's perspective is the goal of the scene and the obstacle to that goal. Um, storytelling, your characters have to have goals and obstacles. Otherwise they're boring. If they don't right. have desires and if they don't have something preventing them from uh, gaining their desires, you mm -hmm. don't have a story. Board games the rules, you have your win condition and you have the obstacle to the win condition. It lines up so perfectly. It's, it's just, I get really worked up about <laughs> because it's, it's there and it's obvious and we are leaving tools on the table that would be so easy to implement and make our games better. And I think that's what gets to me is it's like, it's not even, I mean, it, it can be hard, but it's obvious. So I will get to like I have a I have a, a pretty significant set of counterexamples, but we can get to that. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we have a plenty of room for this conversation. I just want to make sure because you you mentioned a couple of other elements we were mm -hmm. chatting before, uh, like kind of drilling down and, and and adding a little bit of specificity. So yeah. if you could kind of walk through some of those so that we can kind of you know uh, get a, a more robust understanding and then go mm -hmm. from there. So so we have like the basic idea of what our theme is, which is basically our hook for the game. Um, when you're, what's this game about? It's can the dogs defeat the evil mail carriers who are trespassing on their property? Um, so that's the, that's your hook, that's your basic level. When you're talking about your actual game design, um, then you've got to look at all the individual elements of, you know, the illustration and the components and how they're designed and the mechanics and to a certain extent, the strategies and dynamics, like everything. Um, and you have to decide which elements are gonna be motivated and which are gonna be unmotivated. And I am unabashedly a theater person. So I stole this from lighting design. Mm. And a motivated light is a light that has a in-story source. So a lamp, or if you have like window blinds mm -hmm. not on stage but the light looks like it's coming through window blinds and you just see that light on stage you're like oh this light has an imaginary source i can i can pretend why the light is there but if all the lights on stage turn red all at the same time that's more an emotional reason for doing that it doesn't have a real world connection so mm. it's called unmotivated so i kind of steal that and i say that you know any any detail in your game that has a thematic reason, in-world reason for existing is motivated. And any detail that doesn't have an in-world reason for existing is unmotivated. You have to have some unmotivated elements because scoring exists. Score, need, yeah. The, when symbols, you said that, first thing I thought of was scoring. Um, those have to exist, but you have to strike the balance. And finding that balance helps your game feel more thematic, but... Um, I, the example that I have taken to using recently is the difference between fantasy realms and star realms, um, which are not related games, but they're both fairly short. And I think they do a really good job of, they both have very motivated elements. Mm -hmm. um, fantasy realms, every single card is very thematic. It's very motivated, but it's not integrated, which is the next level. Um, the there is no story of playing the game once you're done and you have a hand in front of you you can kind of tell the story of this world you created 
and there, there's a theme, but yeah, it's, it doesn't feel thematic while you're playing. You're trying to get the best, you're focusing on the score. You're trying to get the highest scoring hand, the end mm -hmm. that, right. that is the goal. Um, right. Star realms, you are trying to lower your opponent's authority to zero so that you have political, economic, and um, military military <laughs> control of the galaxy, I guess. So it's also every card is thematic, but it's integrated into gameplay. Um, when I'm putting a card down, that is my outpost. My outpost is protecting me. Don't take your blob ship and shoot my outpost. Um, it's the theme comes through a lot more. And I like using those examples because they're small games. Mm -hmm hot take um when reviewers especially talk about the most thematic games they will reference games with thick narrative booklets get, long campaign games and i think that's doing a disservice for designers to what theme is because you don't need to write a novel to have a thematic game and in right. fact you don't need to think in those terms because it's we should be doing stuff mechanically, component-wise. There's so many different layers. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not against world building, but I'm a proponent of cutting as much text out as you can and still having a rich game experience. Just even just as a design exercise, even if it doesn't, even if you add more in for the final published game, just because it's a crutch, basically. Because mm -hmm. uh, I used to be a um, a Christian outreach person. And a pastoral counselor is what they call it. And mm -hmm. you know what they we used to say is an old St. Francis quote, preach always when necessary, use words. Sure. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a kind of a common canard. And so like, what, what does that mean? It means like, you know, that you should be able to tell what the person is and what they value and what they want by just watching them and interacting mm -hmm. with them and, you know, doing work with them. The, a word need, does not need to be shared. And sure. if you are over, and if you are, some explanation has to be necessary just to, you know, just to play the game or like to do the thing, mm -hmm. establish basic communication, but it doesn't need to, like, it shouldn't need to, like, like Star Realms has no, like it has flavor text in the bottom of the cards, but like you can totally pass by that and get what Star Realms is doing. Yeah. So two things. Um, one of those is the other way of saying that is show, don't tell, which we have in theater a lot, especially acting. I'm not an actor, but I, I was in. Uh, undergrad and grad school for seven cumulative years. So I, I know that all the lingo. <laughs> um, show, don't tell. So don't tell, show um, is what you were talking about. Uh, the other is those details. I, I did I did recently, I, I have added that to my list of terms that I use, which is opt-in details. Um, it's, it, you can, if it's not distracting, you can add in a lot of details as long as they're opt in and I can ignore them if I need to, mm -hmm. um, because there are some people who love it and will get really into it. Um, the place that I think you need them to have the most streamlining is the lore paragraph at the beginning of the rule book, because that is not opt-in that is required so that mm -hmm. players know why they're playing the game. Right. So it doesn't need to be super long. It needs to be short. You can have a short story at the end of the rule book. I would rather you didn't. I would rather that be on your website somewhere or in other additional materials as a Kickstarter update um, just to make the box lighter, <laughs> frankly, um, and other reasons that have to do with good writing, 
concision and like it's that's a completely different topic but it's really a personal preference on my my part I, I will die on the hill of your one to two paragraphs at most at the beginning of the rule book needs to be only what the players need to know to want to play the game and it right. needs to draw them into the first turn of the game uh, so actually, we can drill down because it's an interesting example you want. So I love Fantasy Realms. I love both those games. I love Fantasy Realms okay. and Star Realms. One is there and one's down there on the two-player shelf. Yeah, I, I, I think they're, like, currently for me, they're right next to each other. <laughs> Just hanging out. I had no idea I did that on purpose. Uh, so it's, it's so, yeah, it's a great, a great illustration between the two because they, so Star Realms tells a story. And Star Realms, it, it, it almost it drops you into it drops you into a moving story, mm -hmm. and you become an agent in that story. So like I'm I'm doing I'm doing the things, uh, and that's kind of a more like I I, get, I definitely get your point about how we kind of look to the bigger games for a theme, but I think that's that's a I mean Star Realms is kind of like a little big game in that way, you know, taking a lot of what big games are doing, just kind of distilling it into mm -hmm. a, a good pack a good package which is like ten dollars, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a big game. Not a big. I give. I give those away in therapy. Like I play them in therapy. We have fun. It's like here, take that. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so that's I, I like. I enjoy that. So then, fantasy realms. If people don't know, because it's a, it just got nominated for a Spiel des Jahres because it just came out in Germany, uh, relatively recently. Uh, but it's an older game, 2016. I've been playing it for years. Uh, it's kind of like I call it gamer rummy. And I just reviewed Red Rising, so that's that's all very right here. I right hear so that's the year of Gamer Rummy, but the 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 preceding games of Fantasy Realms is Gamer Rummy. So like you have ten suits, and you're doing you know draw and discard, draw and discard, molding your hand, and it's not thematic in that immersive way, but I think it's using whatever the elements are, like you mentioned before, like the art and the the text and the pictures and the color scheme. It's using that to help you understand why you're molding your hand the way you are. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that if I have a bunch of fire in my hand and I put a water in there, that it will negate all my fire. Yeah. You know, I mean, like that makes sense. So it's, it's like, motivated. Yeah. it's motivated. It's just not integrated into a single comprehensible world. Right. Like the, the world physics don't make sense kind of on purpose. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that to bash the game. It's two different styles right. i think we're ultimately really moving towards exploring more of the integrated style and i don't think that's a bad thing um mm -hmm. but i'm like so i i'm referencing the talk i just gave which is how to create resonance and you can create resonance without having theme even um look at sports games but and I mean, real sports, not sports board games, because those have theme. Um, but when we're having a theme discussion, there's these different layers. I, yeah. You brought up immersion, and um, I don't talk as much about it just because I feel like it's the definitive work, in my opinion, of immersion's already been written, which is uh, Gordon Kalea's, uh, if that's how you pronounce his last name, player involvement model um, okay. is a book. And it's... The, the most important part is comes in early on when he says there's actually two types of immersion, uh, absorption and uh, transportation, which mm. comes from narrative transportation theory, which then I read up on that. And I decided that narrative transportation theory doesn't work for board games. So I coined thematic transportation as my way of describing that type of immersion. 
mm-hmm. um, because we don't always have full narratives. My favorite example is like bomb defusal games. Um, I'm most familiar with Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, but I know there's also Fuse. Um, you can, especially in Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, I feel like that game is set up to be very immersive in that you can feel like you are doing the things that people trying to defuse a bomb, especially right. maybe in a movie, would be doing, but there's no narrative. So you, it doesn't fit narrative transportation theory as a literary concept, that's all. Mm-hmm. Long tangent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you talk about board games that tell stories, I think for the most part, like, you know, like I think you mentioned before the, 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 the games that have like huge books, and that's like, uh, I mean, that's not what I came here for. Uh, I mean, I think we, we talk a lot about emergent narrative, you know, like the, I, you know, I'm playing it. And then, you know, as I'm doing it, I'm aware that a story is happening. And I'm aware of being an agent in the story. And then at the end of the game, I can kind of like wrap it up and like, you know, summarize and tell the story. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the linear story is what's told after you're done playing the game. But even then, like, sometimes it's just the experience and the story is... We defused the bomb. We didn't defuse the bomb, like unless there's a real high point, but it doesn't mean that it's not fun. It just, it just means you had to be there. Mm-hmm. So that that's where I, because in um, literary criticism, narrative has a very defined definition. Um, so I, I try to stick to like story mm-hmm. a little bit more just to try and define my terms a bit better. I don't know. Um, yeah, but- and it's funny. Like we've like we stole the name. I shouldn't say stole, but we're appropriating uh, the word theme. Like a word theme in literary worlds means something very different yeah. than what we mean. So it's, it's a problem. Actually, yeah. this is a huge problem, and I don't think there's a fix for it at this point. And right. I'm not going to try and fix it, but it's a problem <laughs> because right. we're starting to explore games with deeper meanings. And this is something that literally like an hour ago was posted in one of the Facebook forums looking at like art games that the few that exist and um, other like intentionality when designing games and games with deeper meanings and contexts. And the word for that is theme, but we have our, we're already, we, that word is taken. So I usually just say deeper meaning, which is not very elegant um, when I'm trying to talk about that. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's awkward. I was, I was an English minor. So yes, it's awkward. Yeah. I mean, we, we, appropriated might be the words like you know even the word theme in the literary context would be like the meaning of the text or like other you know there could be multiple themes like yeah you know, subtext uh, i use subtext a lot um mm-hmm. to to avoid confusing theme with theme right and then in board gaming you know we think of the theme as like the aesthetic dots you know that that a game has and that becomes like and it's such it's so almost divorced from the original yeah, meaning we think of theme as like setting or genre and even right. then genre is confusing because horror is a genre but deck builder might be a genre this is stuff i haven't quite fully formulated my thoughts on so i don't have a blog post on this yet um it's i'm still i i don't know how to approach that stuff um right. entirely I think the only way to really do it is to kind of go back to what you were saying before. It's like, okay, this is what we mean. <laughs> you know, the, the whole, co- the verb question thing. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. and this is why defining our terms is so important because, you know, people use the term immersive all the time and sometimes they're using one meaning and sometimes they're using the other meaning. Or um, resonant, which is my entire talk that um, I just sent off is 
trying to define that in a way that's useful. Right. Um, Cause that's the other thing is um, defining. Sometimes we define words in ways that like are either overly academic or not specific enough. And as someone who's got a little bit of that academic foundation in terms of talking about art, but is also a practitioner, I do very much see that line that you have to kind of walk if you're trying to be useful to the working designer. Mm -hmm. I've read some of the academic theories and studies of um, game design. MDA is the one that most people are familiar with. Um, And then there's a couple that are sort of refutations, uh, DPE and DDE. And they're interesting. I don't find them useful Mm. at all, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a hot take because uh, um, MDA gets talked about a lot. And I think Mark LeBlanc is really smart. He also defines the eight types of fun. I also don't find those categories very useful. but I come at things from a different angle. So I can't say mm-hmm. they're universally unuseful, but right. um, I, I am very cognizant of trying to develop language that is useful to the practitioner. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what where a lot of the, of what, you know, my practice is about is, um, is creating that language that we know we're talking about. Like, yeah. because I talk about like, you know, culture. So it's like, okay, here's what, here's some of the things I want to break this down. I know you, I know you've heard this word. It means this to you. It's like, oh, that's not what I mean. It, it, here's a more constructive meaning. Right. And so now we're just kind of taking the lens out and kind of doing it in general with mm-hmm. you. Um, so I want to let, so we can kind of like move, move a little bit past the definitional stuff. And let's talk about like, you know, games on the table and the games, how they connect with people. Right. That's what we're talking about at the end of the day. And I think that's what you mean by resonance, where it's like there's a game on the table and how does it how does it resonate with the, the, the player? Is that am I off on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yes. Um it's funny because every time I talk to somebody with a psychology background like you, Sen Feng Lim, um, it just it always seems like it's I'm always like, oh we come from very similar places because theater is a lot about tapping into people's emotions, but we come at them in very different ways. Um, It's, it's a completely different lexicon for one thing, but it's also a very, it's a very different approach. Um, Psychology is very cerebral and theaters, not as much. Guilty. Guilty. (laughs) Um, So, I'm having to think about the things you say and be like, does it do that? Yes. Yes, that's true. But I kind of skip that part. There's a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. that I just assume is true and skip it because of my background Mm -hmm. and move on to the next bits. And that's something that's part of the reason I have the blog is to try and spell things out so that when I'm having a conversation, I'm not skipping things. Sure. Okay. Uh, and so what, what, so what would be the more useful frame for you? Like we began also talking about emotion and you know, yeah. is that is that would that that be a, a more useful frame for you to enter into that discussion? Yeah. yeah. So, because I did a whole series on experience design and how I think you can design games from like 
I don't use the word first when I'm talking about design theme first, mechanics first, because I don't know if that means starting point or priority. Uh, It's confusing to me. I don't like it. Um, I use driven. So, but I, I would never say theme driven because that's to me that's vague that i i don't like it experience driven i have broken i've broken down into five different categories currently (laughs) maybe six really um but it's uh emotion driven which can be subdivided into um if it's like simple emotion or complex emotion Mm. Uh, complex emotion meaning like in asymmetric games different roles if everybody's kind of got the same goal, that's a simple emotion. And if mm-hmm. it's, if it, if everyone has different goals, m- one of my classic examples is Sheriff of Nottingham. So if you're the mm-hmm. sheriff or if you're not the sheriff, it's yeah. a different emotional experience. I was thinking of like uh, werewolf or something like some yeah, people want to just yeah. hide or some people want to find the thing and yeah. Yeah, it's um, so emotion driven, um, empathy driven, which there's two different types of empathy. <laughs> There's intellectual empathy and emotional empathy or cognitive empathy and emotional empathy. And that gets a little, that's complicated. Um, There's thematic transportation driven, which you might say immersion driven, but I don't use that word usually. Mm -hmm. Um, And then intellect challenging driven design. And within that, I I also say like there's education driven design. but like for, for like actual education games. Um, and th- those are obviously not everything you could have, but those are the ones I break down on my blog. So I don't, I, I don't say theme first, mechanics first because of all of that. But like, so like emotion, for me, everything has emotional content and I am in the classic, classic definition. It's, it's we haven't been around long enough to have classics guys. That was today's blog post. Mm-hmm. Um, we we're making them right now. Yes. But, um, definition of experience design, which is about sort of the emotional experience. Um, technically I'm an experience designer. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like resonance is about, how much work you're putting into your art so that audiences understand players. Um, I, I flip theater, players, audiences, same thing. Um, so that they understand what's happening mm-hmm. um, because that's how I engage with it. So yeah. I'm, I'm like, for me, re- resonance, part of the definition is that it's depth, shape and clarity of theme where clarity is kind of paramount. Um, too much detail can really muddy the water sometimes if it's not all pointing in the same direction. Mm-hmm. I would like to, so I love I love the way you laid that out. I, I think I would like to uh, take one of those like drives, uh, or models of drives, and that is the intellectual challenge mm-hmm. drive. I, I, I really feel like the way we talk about theme is, especially in hobby gaming, Right. I mean, that you could have you know lots of different gaming, but um, we'll talk about hobby gaming because that's like, I think the, um, you know, like in BGG, like you think, you know, that's where the hobby gamers hang out and like, you know, the, the Reddit's and that kind of thing. 
So then I think the intellectual challenge paradigm is ascendant in a way where like, that's a game. Yeah. You know? And and that is what I understand. Like, you know, uh, do I have good choices? And, you know, mm -hmm. is this rewarding? And like, is there, if it provides me with a, a good puzzle and like we talk in those terms and then it's almost like because that type of game is the paradigm, it theme, like theme is understood as separate from that. Mm -hmm. Right. Is, is that a yeah. fair way to kind of think about what is happening in terms of why we're having a hard time? And maybe this shifts us over to hot takes. Uh, uh, why our community at this present time is having a bit of a difficult time understanding things like story and tone, because our, our paradigm is what you describe as the intellectual challenge. Um, sort of. So I, I have a few things to say about that. One is that I think we are shifting and some people haven't caught up yet. Um, to actually i'm sorry to interrupt i'm really sorry because i just got this comment today i just got this comment today on one of my videos i, I reviewed destinies by lucky duck mm -hmm. and I, I gave it a, a, a nine out of ten i think it's an amazing game um it's not an intellectually challenging game but it is a story experience you know mm -hmm. and very much more into that you know leaning into the experience and everything but the choices are not intellectually challenging at all they are story driven they're like okay do i want to talk to this person that person i don't have the information to know whether what what is better or worse what will get me the victory in nine turns or 11 turns i don't have the information i don't i don't want it but i got a lot of comments that said where are the choices where is the it's too lucky i don't have enough information and not everybody not everybody not every comment was like that but the critical comments were kind of along those lines sure Just, you know well and i think to be fair to those people a little bit um if it's something you prefer then you do want to know before you spend that much money on it if it's going to you know scratch that itch sure yeah but yeah. you know I, there, yeah, there's definitely some um, shibboleths in gaming that aren't like, we can parrot that, but that doesn't define what a game is. It just doesn't. Um, and there's multiple Udology episodes that define <laughs> a game. So go listen to those. Mm -hmm. um, the best ones, some of the best ones. Yeah, but so, yeah, I think there's some people, they just like what they like and they aren't interested but for me that's kind of like saying only movies that are serious like schindler's list are movies and michael bay movies aren't movies sometimes you just want to turn your brain off and watch explosions like <laughs> it's just it depends right. and you know I'm, I'm not for limiting art forms necessarily um me either but, you know there's nuance there but in general um the other thing i wanted to say is that i think part of the problem is in the design world at large is most of most of us are self-taught. I know there are board game design classes out there like formal in university type classes. I don't know that if, at least in North America, I don't know if there's an actual degree you could pursue or even an emphasis within a degree. Um, if there is, they are new. Um, they, it hasn't been around that long and so pretty much everybody self-taught, that's fine. My professional field has been around for 2,500 years and you can, you still don't need a degree to do it. So I, I'm not like judging, but um, the, the problem with that is we still don't have the language that we need. We have the building blocks of board game design, the, the mechanics encyclopedia by Jeff Engelstein and um, Isaac Shalev and 
that's phenomenal. That is only mechanics. That's not everything else. And well, Sarah, what else is there in a game? <sighs> 70,000 plus words on my blog, guys. <laughs> um, there's so much more. Uh-huh. And we, we haven't developed it yet. We're in a, we're in a field that is de- developing now the things we say now, even if you're just a play tester, play testing a game and helping shape it, you are shaping the history of board games right now. It's exciting, but we have to recognize that there are no hard and fast rules. They don't exist yet. Give it mm-hmm. 50 years, maybe. Um, especially in, I, I'm, I tend to say board game design and I do mean hobby game design, um, board game designers as creative people, I would say artists, but I don't want to have that fight in the comments. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I have three blog posts you can read breaking down that that's its own mini series. Um, yeah. but so, so they they don't have the foundation, uh, they don't have the artistic foundation and based on previous, eras would not eras but let me correct myself because i just wrote about how that we were all there's only one board game design era and we're in it um because we haven't been around long enough but previous periods the sid saxon period let's say um taking from that it's all math and balance and interesting choices nobody coming in really has the language of the other stuff and so we just, we need to educate. We need to learn. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to, you know, write it down, say it out loud be, um, because it's just not out there. Right. But also we just need to have a collective realization that board game design is architecture. It's not engineering. You're not going to engineer your way into a fun game. You have to have a sense of creativity, even within the math and the mechanics Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know, that's, that's like a whole rant that I don't actually have the words for right now, but mm-hmm. it's kind of simmering in the back of my head. Um, but uh, I was going to add something else to that. And I do not remember what it was. It happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, we don't, I'm, I'm not saying here's a bunch of terms, we should use them. I'm saying nobody's using any terms here. Take some from my other field that maybe you could use those right. or we could just think about it some more. Most of the people that I've talked about this to, um, their response is usually along the lines of, you know, either I don't know, or yeah, I think that's interesting. But then after I talk with them, they're like, oh, you've thought about this a lot. I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. And I think the spirit, I mean, I, 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 this is another spirit of self stories thing. I mean, I don't think we want to say that one way or another is like the right way to think about things. Okay. So like, you know, if we talk about like that paradigm of the intellectual challenge, uh, it's not like that's the, you know, bad paradigm. Like it's a good paradigm because it does what games do. It's not just a puzzle. It does evoke emotions and Ooh. it does evoke connection. It does evoke resonance. Like, you know, I think of a syntaxing game, I like can't stop. Like that's an exciting game. Like that's what I go there for. I don't. I don't need it necessarily a story in, the, in that kind of elaborated way. But it's just like I, you know, it, it generates excitement for me, and that's enough. Mm-hmm. And then you know, like you, then you go down the road of, you know, like and, and the, I guess what the one of the things in the background of this conversation is like you know Euro games, right? And like Euro games having quote unquote no theme, and 
it, quote unquote, right? And it's like, sure. oh, being, or being it's themeless fun. and whatever it is. And it's like, I, like every game has a theme. Every game makes it like, well, otherwise no one would play it. <laughs> I mean, sort of, yeah. Some of them have motivated elements that aren't integrated. Some of them have unmotivated elements. My example for unmotivated thematic elements is uh, the player pieces in Monopoly because they're, they're not abstract. They, they are thematic, but they're not thematic to the theme of Monopoly. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, Euro games, I mean, Uwe Rosenberg's games are pretty thematic. Great Western Trail um, is pretty thematic and thematically integrated. It Not everything has to be this sort of narrative immersion thematic transportation right. um, to be thematic. And that that's kind of my theme is that my thing not theme is that um, it's it, it is this spectrum and I'm not trying to exclude those games at all and you can still have these very challenging interesting games that but that they make their rules more intuitive mm-hmm. yes they make their game boards more appealing look mm-hmm. to look at for three hours if there's theme Better connection, just that's what it better connection, better emotional resonance. That's what it's all about. Better table presence. Don't like that phrase either. Um, Mm -hmm. Like at all, because it doesn't, it, people use the phrase table presence to basically imply if your game looks good, that then it'll sell. Mm -hmm. And that's the important thing. And I'm like, that's not the point though. Right. The the point is resonance for me. Mm So uh, at this point, I think I can bring in my, I guess, hottest take. Uh, <laughs> so we're talking about, you know, games on the table and like, why am I playing this? And you've mentioned a whole bunch of great things about like the first paragraph and the rule book and the, ta- you know, uh, the, the aesthetic thing. And like, there's all these, and then getting into it, like the in- intuitive rules and like there's all, all these things, right. That create connection between the play, like, why should I care and let invites me to enter into it and gives me a framework for engaging. Right. And that and all that counts as theme, every single thing, every emotion that's evoked. You know, uh, you know, we want calls, can't stop a thematic game. Well, it gives me excitement. At least that's the beginning of some kind of connection. So I think getting to the hot take, uh, there are games, and I, and I think that this is not a non-zero thing. I think there's a, a decent amount of these games where there is a the game is there and the the aesthetic elements are there but I don't think there is a too much of an attempt to like make those organic connections. I think that a lot of games, not a lot, but like enough games have those elements. And the one connection they care about is sales. Mm-hmm. Like I throw, I'm going to, I'm going to put this aesthetic layer on there and I'm not going to really care mm-hmm. about what that connection is with the game. I'm going to put it on there because it, it, it sells. It's space. Mm-hmm. It's this. It's it's what it's the th- you know, the things that the familiar things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that's kind of my hot take. I don't know what you. I mean, is that something that you've thought about, or am I kind oh, of off there? Well, yeah. I mean, if when you ask nine out of ten board game designers what does resonance mean, they'll tell you it means uh, theme mechanic alignment, which I think is um, not enough. I um, I have an hour long talk about how it's more than just that, but it is at least that. Um, My my hot take though, is that if your board game cover is gorgeous, gorgeous art 
and your board game uh, board is ugly, I you've already lost my trust. You drew me in with something gorgeous and then the rest of your game is what I'm going to have to look at while playing it. And I think when you have those breaks, not just there, but in other places, you, you lose my trust as someone who cares about my experience playing your game. Um, I'm very visually, I'm a scenic artist. I'm very visually uh, consumer driven in the sense, not in the sense of I buy stuff that's pretty, but in the sense of I want to spend my time looking at pretty things. There are video games and board games that I just don't want to play because I don't like the color palette and the art style. Um, and it's great if other people do, but you know, it's, it's a personal thing for me. Um, but yeah, if you're, if the, the one that gets me really mad though, is if you say your theme is one thing and the gameplay says something else. If you say your theme is about conservation, but you play as corporations building lumber mills, which is close to some existing games, but not exactly. So I don't think I'm calling anybody out. That makes me furious. Mm -hmm. You're like, and then I can kind of stretch it to say why this is conservation, but Really, it's a city building game, but it's about conservation. So we can have this pretty mm-hmm. art in the cover. No, <laughs> just right. no. Yeah. It's, it makes me furious. And even even terraforming Mars for me is like, it, it, it's got some, it's not as obvious, but it's got some weird interplay there that like, because you're playing as corporations, terraforming Mars for profit, I guess. I haven't played the game. Um, it's just weird. It, it's like, I, I want, I don't know. The, the thematic interplay is a little, is a little odd there in terms of like, what's, what's my motivation as a player character? Cause I, I care about that. And I understand that like, um, there's other, there's other things at play there than that um there's some really deeply thematic stuff in terraforming mars where excess energy turns into heat and that's awesome one of the things i care about is player motivation um is character motivation which is funny because you know not all my games have character motivation but if you're playing as a specific character in a game even if it's a faction which factions are faceless and generic and it's real easy to dehumanize them and that i have a problem with that but um like I, I care about all that stuff because you are telling sometimes unintentional stories with your theme that you don't necessarily want to be telling. And that's, I haven't told you about my, uh, my first signed game, my, because <laughs> it's, got, it's got a lot of layers in mm. terms of intentional storytelling and playing a specific characters. <laughs> And, and it's so funny how um, I, I know it's not a published game, so I, I try not to like, you know, dive in. Let's, you, are, are you okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. So let's, let's dive into it. Cause I have a point to make kind of on the opposite end, but, I, sure. but I'd like to hear a little bit more about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, intentional story. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like to set the groundwork first. So people know where I'm coming from. I started with a game about how the aristocracy builds wealth because that was interesting to me. It's, it's a system, but it's got some of that sort of, you know, 
European history involved that's um, interesting to me. Grew up reading, you know, stories from like 18th, 19th century type stuff. So aristocracy builds wealth. It was, you know, one person dies, next person inherits, they die, the next person inherits. It was boring. The mechanics didn't work, but also you played as multiple people and I didn't feel invested and I didn't like that. So I decided only, you're only playing as one person. But then like how many distant uncles and cousins are gonna die and leave you money in your will? That doesn't make sense. So I changed it to um, Victorian women who murder their husbands to get money in the will. And it's called mm -hmm. Deadly Dowagers and um, it's coming out from Sparkworks eventually. I'm nice. not sure when. Um, and it's very, in, it's very intentional and it's, it always elicits a reaction of either that's awesome or, um, mm -hmm. are you sure? But there, there is a lot of intentionality that had to go into it because I don't want it to be this like man bashing game either. Like the reason the theme is that is because it's kind of compelling and um, it works narrative wise. Mm -hmm. um, so there's been a lot of balance on how how to deal with that. And I really, I don't want to go like, I, I'm always hesitant to talk too much about where I'm, where I was coming from designing it because I don't know how much of that's actually going to come through in gameplay, which is one of the things we need to remember about designers is that they're very, they're so close to their games that they don't always know that and play testers can't always express. And then you, so you get reviewers after it's always pu already published saying, Hey, did you realize your game is actually telling this story? And it's, they don't always know because right. they're too close to it. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I know what I want to come through, but I don't know if it does. Well, I, even as a content creator, it's like, okay, I, I, I know I said something and then it was received just, whoa, <laughs> like, oh, back to the end, back to the drawing board. And that's okay. You know, that's perfectly okay. So then I, um, I love that you ended at intentional storytelling and then unintentional storytelling because, and this is, a, I guess this is kind of like my, my second order hot take, you know, connected to the, to the, connected to that. And it goes back to the work that I've been doing. So like, you, you know, that you're, you're making your systems first game and, you know, this happens all the time. Like I just worked with a publisher today who told me that, and I told you this story before that the chat of, you know, I made a game or like the, the, we have a game that's been in development for 10 years. Now, I, now I'm going to talk about theme. I said, what, what, what's happening? Uh, <laughs> so then what happens there is the, like a game always has to have some kind of, like even chess has a theme, checkers has a theme, uh, every, like, you know, some kind of what am I doing here type thing? Like what, what's my aspiration in the game? And so like what happens is you, you, you make your system and then you're, you're kind of unintentional about the aesthetic stuff that draws people in. And then you, pull towards not towards connection with the audience in an organic way he pulls towards more that sales thing uh -huh. like i want them to buy it i want them to whatever and then that's where it's some unintentional harm that's the space that's yeah. the space where harm can actually come in because not from un, not from ill will nobody sure. nobody does this stuff on purpose and that i think people oh they, did they do it on purpose absolutely not there's there's a good intention is always imputed however Mm -hmm. There's unintentional stuff that could come in when you're not intentional, when you're when your connection is driven by what will be the most appealing. Sure. And I mean, it really bears saying that board game design 
almost 100% of the time is a group art project, even if there's only one designer. It is a group art project. And so it can be hard to catch that stuff that gets added later in the process. Um, right. And collaborative art, like again, theater, we have thousands of years of figuring out how to work out collaborative art and board game design is new. So it's, yeah, it, it, it is very much that. Um, yeah, I think, I think the problem is when people go, we need a theme. Oh, that's cool. Smash. Right. Spin the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are, there are, there are ways to do what they're trying to do and to do it well. It's hard, but there are ways to do it. And I have outlined ways to do it. Right. And I, I love that, that and we can go back to your, like the, the models of resonance. Cause like maybe the designer is coming at it from the intellectual challenge thing. And maybe there's going to be a core of audience that comes for that. And it's like, that's, that's great. But audiences are going to come for other stuff. Like even the, like even the, the Euroist of Euro might come in for, you know, a, an exciting experience. They might come in for, um, um, I'm not immersive. I, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, uh, they might come into your year wanting a narrative transporting or some kind yeah. of transporting experience. Uh, you know, I'm, I have a Lisboa over there from um, uh, Vital Lacerda. Lacerda does a really good job with his, even if there's crunchy games, mm -hmm. like there's a lot of, you know, story elements and history baked in there. So like when I play, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going in for that intellectual experience. I'm actually bringing my desire for a more, uh, kind of imaginative experience so sure. then and and so designers knowing that so could you repeat those five again okay so okay. i have so that's the uh that's the categories for experience design sure, sure. Uh, the, the residence formula is slightly different but it's a uh, intellect challenging thematic transportation driven empathy driven emotion driven is there another one i don't remember <laughs> We're wanting to take people. <laughs> I think that's it. Um, I, I kind of um, say education driven potentially too, even though that's mm -hmm. sort of outside of the entertainment game design space for me. And I sort of lump it in intellect challenging just as a, as a sidebar. Sure. Um, but no, uh, just real quickly, when you are doing that, um, find the movement of your game is the phrase I'm always telling people. Um, the way players physically move their bodies, the way pieces move around the board, the rhythm, the pace of turns, um, all of those things, the world physics, if when you start to develop like what location this is in, use that movement to develop your world physics, your location and sort of the time um, elapsed like Civ game versus bomb defusal game is my spectrum for feeling of elapsed mm. time in gameplay. Yeah. Seconds um, versus centuries. Yeah. 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 It's not necessarily how long the game is. It's the feeling of time passing mm. and how, what your, what your topic is. Find that movement and build your theme around that. And then your theme is going to feel integrated in its bones even if you just started developing it. Right. Um, and even do that with your abstract, like quote unquote theme with Zero, because it's not just those people that are going to play or like talk about it. Yeah, like, don't other people are going to bring the in. Table. That's my thing is don't leave money on the table by only 
by excluding an audience, it's it's like you know design games that are colorblind friendly, design games that people who care about the art want to look at. Um, honestly, even if your game's not thematically integrated, if it's pretty, I'll play it. <laughs> I, I just I need it to be pretty. It, that's important, absolutely. It's mm-hmm. it's important to me. I, but I, I don't, but that's one of those things, like I'm very like personal preference versus design principle. This is personal preference. Yeah. Uh, uh, drill, let's, um, so, okay. The movement thing. I'd love to kind of drill down on that one, but I know we're coming to the end of, I think we've covered a, a decent amount, but I really want to yeah. talk about the movement thing. So it's, it's so important. It links up with what we were talking about with like the, the theme as a verb. And then a, a question mark after the verb, like, you know, like what is a verb? A verb is movement, run, jump, you know? And so like it, it, you know, movement and then like agency within that movement, right? Okay. Like it's not just like the thing is moving. Like I am the cause. There's a cause of that. It's not just trains. It's, you know, people on a train, um, what's called express fighting on a train, trying mm-hmm. to get to the different cars. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, talk about, I mean, do you have specific advice for how uh, designers or or people that you're thinking in that way can kind of like use movement as a way to kind of unlock something, you know, in the, in the design? Yeah. So I think at some point you have to kind of just have an idea. Um, Unless I'm playing your game myself, I, I can't tell you that, oh, because you're moving in this shape, here's a list of themes that you could pick from and then build from there. So you, you kind of do have to have a little bit of a spark of inspiration, but once you kind of have a generic setting and, and tying the different mechanics, rules, components of your game, they're thinking about, um, movement, tactility. So all the sorts of biofeedback uh, things is the word I use. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but it's what I've been using Um, is very helpful. But also if you can include one element in your game that evokes something really recognizable and intuitive in terms of especially physics, Um, I think that goes a really long way, um, like location or physics. The reason that we're moving around this rondelle is we're on a spaceship and the spaceship is orbiting a planet, or, um, you can't build the second floor until you've built the first floor Mm -hmm. because gravity, um, and another one of my favorites is the little conveyor belts in Sushi Roll, the sequel to Sushi Go, um, you know where you are. In Sushi Go, you don't know where you are. You're in a void. You have chopsticks, so you know you're not eating with your hands. That's it. Um, you are you are basically in a void while playing the game. There's sushi in front of you, but you're at your gaming table, I guess. In Sushi Roll, you're in a conveyor belt sushi restaurant. Right. And that's amazing. <laughs> it makes all the that's difference. phenomenal. And it's <laughs> this big of a change. Right. They're just little tiles. They don't do anything else. Like they're useful in the game, but it's it's not hard. Mm-hmm. It is hard and it's not hard. Like good ideas are hard and take some workshopping. But if you once you kind of have an idea, like I started my game 
thinking about inheritance and aristocracy, but then I interrogated my theme. I asked questions of my own theme. What would make this more fun? Why am I not emotionally connected to it? How can I make it more plausible? Plausibility is a little flexible here, but narratively plausible. Um, and raise the emotional stakes. All of those things are going to make your theme way more interesting. And because we mostly describe games by talking about their theme, unless we're talking to gamers who are really deeply in the hobby, then we'll say, oh, it's a deck builder meets a worker placement game. But most of the time we're gonna say, it's a game about Dune and they use the movie as the art inspiration. Um, we describe the theme. So making your theme really interesting and really cool is important. It just needs to be reflected in your gameplay. And there's, there are tools to do that. I, I mean, I hate to say this. I really don't know of anybody else who talks about this stuff. I, I wish I, if, if you do let me know, cause I would love to read their stuff. Cause I'm, and I'll have them on the show. <laughs> Go on it. Uh, but I, I've been trying to break it down. I've, been I've been doing research and reading what other people have written, but coming at it from a um, dissecting theme into little concrete ways that you can fix your game that aren't specific it to just a postmortem, which is that was one of the comments that uh, on your other video when I commented was people talk about theme and podcasts and stuff all the time, and I'm like, they talk about themes that already exists games, games yes, that already yes. exist and how they got there. They don't, they don't, okay. it's not proscriptive. It's descriptive. Yeah. And it's more like settings. The way a lot of people talk about it. it's like well, what we call I mean, settings, but like designer diaries, development, um, people will talk about how, you know, how root ended up getting the theme that it had and stuff like that, but they don't, it's descriptive. It's not proscriptive. And, and as, arrogant as it kind of feels, I try to be as proscriptive as possible because I am trying to talk to practitioners and give them advice. I don't know if it works. I, it works for me, but I'm trying to give as much advice as possible for mm -hmm. things you can be thinking about and doing because I, you can't find me on BGG yet. My games haven't come out yet, but I get asked the same questions all the time. How do I retheme my game? How do I fix my theme? How do I do this? And the conclusion I've come to is because there aren't answers out there anywhere else, hardly. Mm -hmm. Or there are a set of counter answers. Like there's a, like you said before, a shibboleth. Yeah, there's right? you can't, which, no, <laughs> you can't. And, and, you know, so like, it's, it's almost like, it's not a lack of knowledge. It's like, okay, there's a paradigm you know, about what a theme is. And, a, and, and, and I, I, I think that the paradigm puts that intellectual challenge kind of uh, raises that up and then makes the, the, the aesthetic and elements or however you talk about an, an experience secondary. And mm -hmm. it, I think we can shift that. And if this conversation does anything, I hope that we can kind of at least open space you know, I not I yeah. do not I I know I talk in a way that kind of makes make it sound like I'm knocking the previous thing. I apologize for that because I get passionate. Um, but yeah, I don't I do not want to negate a person's experience. I really don't. Just open up a little bit more space yeah. so we can talk more well, robustly. I mean, it's like saying that you only like Renaissance art and that impressionism shouldn't exist and 
that's a weird stance to have to me. Right. Like we can have both. Right. Mm -hmm. I want art. I want themes. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, you know, like, I, you know, uh, Connect Four has a theme, right? At the Connect Four, what's the Connect Four of, of, of the theme of Connect Four is like blocking, you know, can I, can I frustrate my opponent um, you know, in their attempts to make four in a row and in a way such that, you know, I make my four in a row. And that's mm -hmm. like a weird way to put that, but it's like, now we're in the ballpark of saying, okay, what now, not, not only is this a game, how is this resonating with me? And, mm -hmm. and how does it answer, like present that question of like, okay, what am I trying to do? That's interesting. Right. Cause now I'm sitting here trying to come up with a theme for connect four. Cause it's, it, you've got that movement mm -hmm. and you've got the area control-ish, not quite. And the action counteraction yeah. like, dynamic. It's very, very tight. So it's not, it's not a theme yet. Like it's cause the theme is a little bit more robust than that, but we're on the road to that. So to refer to it as theme less, I guess that's probably the way I would say to refer to as theme less kind of robs us of a tool to yeah. talk about some of this I stuff. I mean, themeless though is a useful term because abstract game, abstract is a complicated term because a lot of people use it to mean combina combina combinatorial, can't say it, uh, games, <laughs> which are perfect information games, like your typical abstract. Right. Um, and so that like all these words are traps. They are traps. Abstract is a trap. Theme is a trap. Immersive is a trap. Right. Um, and like, you want more themes. I just want better language so we know what we're talking about. The thing I hate most in life is having two different conversations at the same time because oh, we're talking across purposes. So that's all I want. I don't care if, you know, we, we decide as a hobby, none of the words Sarah uses are ones we're keeping. We're going with these words. Fine. Let's pick yeah. some. You know? <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. All right. So, I mean, this was a big open ended exploration. I don't think we came to a point, but that's not the point is to come to a yeah. point. The point is to, to open up conversations and explore. And, you know, if this was like, okay, what am I going to get out of this? We'll get critical thinking out of it. Mm -hmm. that, that's kind of, and like, you know, question, question our terms. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good, you know, kind of ending point. Um, but you are going to, we're going to see you at GDC if we are a part of GDC. Yeah, right that, it's uh, it's all digital this year, but it, just to see the panels is still expensive. Um, it's more than most board game conferences because it's mostly video games and normally takes place in San Francisco. So I'm going to be publishing my, my script to my talk on my blog after the um event not prior to so that's and that's like the third week of july so um but uh, other than that you know i don't i don't have anything lined up i and i don't know dates of games and my other games that aren't signed yet are um still needing development so i'm kind of just hanging out waiting which i feel like is the story of the pandemic mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'll have a link to your blog in the show notes. Uh, are there what are the best ways other than the blog to contact you, if any? Um, I'm mostly in Facebook design forums, um, so you can usually summon me in Meeple Syrup Shop Talk or Board Game Design Lab community. Um, I'm not on Twitter because I had an unhealthy relationship with Twitter and I had to quit it. Um, I think. The, here's a hot take telling people in uh, the board game industry that they have to be on a certain type of social media regardless 
uh, in order to network is unhealthy for some of those people. Okay. So I will, I will not be on Twitter. Um, but yeah, you, you can summon me in a forum or um, comment on my blog. Um, and that, that's honestly, other than hopefully seeing me in a convention eventually is the best way to get a hold of me. All right. Sa uh, Sarah Ship, thank you very much for sharing your insights and hopping on the show. Thanks for having me. If you could change your mind, you could change the world. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.